happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. I hope you're all having a great week coming up on today's show. Things are finally maybe beginning to heat up between Francis Ngannou and Cyril Gone. A trilogy fight is booked and more. All of that is coming up later in the show, but I want to kick off today's episode by following up on a story I told you guys about on Wednesday. Dustin Poirier, Nate Diaz. Guys, let's pay this off. We talked about it the other day. We talked about it from a standpoint of we have Nate Diaz versus Dustin Poirier to look forward to. We now find out that that's not the case. Why? There's not a whole bunch of options. In fairness, there's more options than I'm going to think of on the spot for you right now, but not many. So if you got a theory, lay it on me. I'm all ears. It would go something like this. One of those guys didn't want the fight. Well, no, we have evidence to the contrary. Nate Diaz has been open to anybody that will listen. I want to fight tonight. You pick the opponent. Let's do it right now. So it wasn't Nate. Poirier is the one that revealed the information to us in the first place. Poirier was doing an interview with Teddy Atlas, and Poirier just sets this beautiful nugget down that makes all of us curious. Everybody's attention. Poirier doesn't tell us the date, but he does give us a clue that it's going to be short notice. You know that these guys are both pay-per-view stars. There's two pay-per-views coming up. One's the middleweight championship. One's the heavyweight championship. Reverse that order. Okay, I think we got this figured out. Nate and Poirier are going to strengthen up a card and go out to Houston. Bob's your uncle. Well, no. We're now being told that's not what's going to happen. And guys, make sure that you understand where I'm at on this story. Not that this is still being discussed. Not that that is not finalized yet. That is off the table. That is done. UFC said no. And UFC made it sound like... Now, i got to draw an interpretation to this because these were not their words. It was my interpretation of tone was we were never going to do that fight. Not sure where this rumor came from. Now, I'm putting words in there. That's, that's not what was said. It was open for another interpretation, which is, hey, this just didn't happen. Maybe we'll look at another day. I took it. Me, Chael. I don't know where this rumor came from. That simply is not happening. Okay. Why not? You still come back to the why not. Did the, is, are those guys just too much money? Does that card not have any room? Is everything intact? That's not being looked at, or that is being looked at, but it, it never was in a short-notice fight for as quick as February to come underneath Adesanya versus Whitaker Part 2. I mean, right? there's only so many options here, and generally within the UFC, if you do their job for them, they will like that. I always encourage people, people love to tell the UFC no, for the silliest reasons, by the way, to get out of a match. That that doesn't work for me, or I'm buddies with that guy, or I, you know, I I got something else to do that day. Whatever it is, I mean, the excuses that fighters have to get out of doing a match are well beneath the dog ate my homework. In all fairness, I mean, it is the most ridiculous and silly things that you hear. But when you bring two stars together that work it all out and drop it in their lap, everybody likes that. Great, but the UFC didn't. Why? And I'm stuck a little bit. I don't fully know. I, it was a disappointment to me. Nate Diaz's last fight in the UFC is going to be a heartbreaking moment. I think we can all relate to that. Like, if there was any sunshine, it's that we've kicked that can at least a little bit. However, we can't really take a joy in kicking that can when Nate doesn't want to kick. Nate wants to do it now. So you want to show that support to Nate. Okay, let's give him an opponent, but who's it going to be? I mean, Dustin Poirier sure checks a lot of boxes. And I personally find that interesting. One, because I remember... 
the backstory and why those guys, where those guys were going to fight in, in New York, Madison Square Garden, and the BMF ends up coming instead, and Nate shows up and Dustin was gone. But I also liked it because the weight class would have been 170 pounds, I think. And that's a tough one, too. See, I got to keep saying, I think we don't have any, we don't have any evidence, though. So I'm asking you guys, if you got something more than I've got, lay it on me. But Nate has been fighting at 170 pounds. Nate's last fight was at 170 pounds. Dustin Poirier has a hard time making 155. For a short-notice fight, it would seem as though if you could spot him 15, he's more likely to be in. And, and Dustin made it very clear to Teddy Atlas, he's in. Dustin also alluded before his Poirier fight that he was going to go up to 170. Now, those are clues. Those are circumstantial at best. That's not any hard evidence that I have, but I'm openly admitting to you guys, I don't know what's going on here. When Nate comes on the back of that and says, look, the UFC is, Nate did this in a tweet. He said the UFC isn't going to do the Dustin fight. He then fired a shot at Oliveira as well, but those are 55-pounders. So maybe Nate is that wide open. Maybe Nate so much wants to compete and he wants to do it right away. Maybe we've got two different weight classes to draw from. I don't know. There was talk at one point of Chimaev versus Nate, but again, that's at 170. So I'm left without knowing a whole lot. I feel I owe it to you guys to come back and talk about this because we all but confirmed that was going to be the new co-main event in February, Houston, Adesanya versus Whitaker. I got to run it back. I don't want anybody going out and buying a ticket to that think of it and, and then yelling at me and saying, Chael, you're the one that told I, I did tell you, but this is what I thought, and I had it wrong, and now I'm admitting that to you, but I had a pretty damn good source, which was Dustin Poirier. That's a pretty good source. Dustin's going to fight Nate. I know Nate wants to fight. I know they were supposed to fight, and Dustin said they're going to fight. Okay, great. You, you guys see where I did my math. But I still would come back to, to my original question here. The genesis of this entire conversation is simply, why did that fight not come together? And generally, fighters screw everything up, or the managers screw everything up. Everybody's got a contract. All you got to do is sign off, but now all of a sudden, they don't want to honor their contract. I don't think that that's what happened here. I don't think that Nate, for one, is looking for any kind of a push and pull. He's made it pretty clear. He wants to go out there and compete, and I think that Dustin Poirier saw Nate as a real opportunity. Dustin sounded like it, and Dustin went as far when he was talking to Teddy Atlas to say, I've already said yes. Now, I think it's that line that screwed me and all of us up. When Dustin said, I have already agreed to fight Nate, what I thought that that meant is that Dustin was called, he was offered the fight, and he said yes. Perhaps it means there was a rumor out there or there was even a call out on social media and Dustin has agreed to it and that that call didn't actually come from the second floor of the offices in Las Vegas known as the Ultimate Fighting Championship. But somewhere, somebody got their wires crossed. It looks like it looks like we've got them straightened out. I don't have a better idea for either one of those guys, by the way. I have equally as good of ideas. I think Conor McGregor versus either one of them. I think George Mazavrol. I mean, I, I could get you equally as good ideas, but I don't know that I have a better idea. Nate Diaz, Dustin Poirier, man, that for me, that's interesting. So that's the latest on a fight that isn't booked, which brings us to news about a fight that did just get made. Let's dive into that. Volkanovski versus Holloway part three has been announced. How did we get here? Because how we got here in the timeline between these two is far more interesting than trying to break down the, the combinations of Max and the pressure of Volk. These two go out and fight. They're at T-Mobile Arena. Fight comes to an end. 
I watched it with a group of people, and I turned to those people prior to the decision, asking, who do you think won? And they were saying Volkanovsky. They were even saying it as though that was a strange question that I was asking. But I did not believe that. I thought that Max won. And I was a little bit surprised as people, I keep turning my head. I was saying, Ariel Hawani just by, comes to mind. Charlie comes to mind. Glenn comes to mind. Who do you think won the fight? They all had Volkanovsky. They all had it three to two. That's not what I saw. I was very interested when Bruce Buffer got in there and Dana's got the belt behind him. I, I was on edge of my seat, waited to hear who the winner was, and sure enough, it was Volkanovsky. And I don't think it was even three to two. I want to say it was like four to one, at least a judge. Different scores had come in. So they rematched them out. And you do have to ask yourself right there, why are we doing a rematch? If everybody thought that Volkanovsky won, why are we doing the rematch? Well, I don't think everybody did think Volkanovsky won. I think there was a lot of chails out there. The crowd didn't boo. The crowd didn't give a reaction. Max didn't look surprised. Volkanovsky didn't look surprised. It was as though when you watch one of those, say, okay, you guys know who won. Before we get to the judges and we hear the official decision, between the two of you, you know who won. And it looked like they agreed with it. So we get to a rematch. And that was a little bit of a surprise. They, they go over to Fight Island. These guys are doing a rematch. They're like, well, how did we get here except for absolute respect to what Max Holloway has already accomplished? Fine. This time, Max does beat him. Max beats Volk 3-2. to two. Both athletes came out and were different. Max's pressure and Max's volume was different. Volkanovski getting inside and going for those big takedowns inside trip, specifically in the last round, maybe the be most beautiful uh, technique of the whole night, but it was still three rounds to two Max, and this one's pretty clear. Wrong. Volkanovski beat him. Now, it's relevant that you hear what I just said, because if you're a Volk fan, you go, Chael, that's a dick move. What are you, what are you saying? Well, I'm, you must come along this journey with me, or there is no reason to do match three. Many people who watched that fight, including one of the judges, it was a split decision, did think that Max won. So now we have people like me that are in the camp of Max hasn't only beat this guy, Max has beaten this guy twice. What do we do now? Well, you throw them both in there, you get them some new parity, you let Max show just how great he is, he's got to re-earn his number one contendership and make sure Volk still has the belt. And then when the dust settles, you look around and go, man, you guys got to go do this a third time. Now, that's a very hard spot for Volkanovsky. It does not matter if you agree with what I said or not that Max won those fights. It, it truly does not matter. Because Volkanovsky walked out there, he took the risk, he put in 10 rounds, he went to two different continents, he got licensing, he did the training camps, he made the weight class, he did everything that you could do. And even if you get away with one by the skin of your teeth, that is what dreams are made of. If you had the courage and the resolve to walk out there and try the first place, even if you got a gift, that guy's in the rear view and you move on. Which is what Volk did until he couldn't, and it's what Volk did again, and now he's been pulled back in that same spot. And you always have to question motivation, and that's what I'm speaking to. I think it'd be pretty easy for us to put ourselves in Max's shoes and be a motivated guy. Max also showed that by coming back up through the ranks. I mean, that fight with Cater, just by example. Max had showed improvements. He's getting better. He's hungry. He wants that belt back. Volk, on the other hand, to go out and do something a third time that he's already done twice, it's a tough spot. It's not to say he's not motivated. It's a tough spot, and I'm questioning. I will look forward to somebody asking and hearing what Volkanovsky's response was. And it may be something very simple, which is I'm sick and tired of guys like Chael trying to take my success away from me, trying to rewrite history and say somebody else won the fight. I'm tired of that. I'm going to beat this guy twice. I'm going to go beat him a third time. Boom. I'm all done. I've heard my answer. But I still have to wonder it. 
If you're predicting fights and or parting with your money to go handicap on a fight, you will ask yourself some of these questions that are the intangibles because we know for sure these guys are super close. We also know for sure, if not for the surprise takedown of Volkanovski, he does not win that second contest. And I have to call it a surprise. I have to call it a surprise because the technique of the inside trip was so incredibly well done. I just didn't know that Volk had that tool. That was about as high level of wrestling as you can get. To find yourself in a body lock position, pull the opponent, hit what's called a cheat step, take your head to the right side, square your hips and get on top. It was just this beautiful technique, and we didn't know that Volkanovski, anybody from New Zealand at all fairness, I mean, New Zealand does not have a representation that they send to the Olympic Games in the sport of wrestling. You can't get a college scholarship in New Zealand for wrestling. It's one of those things. So when you meet a guy from New Zealand that's pretty damn good at wrestling, you go, man, this guy has really sought this out. This guy has really worked hard. This guy is really looking to grow himself. And if you go look at the last Volkanovski that we saw fight, which was against Brian Ortega, that guy was a, You want to talk about heart? You can talk about the best fight, 2021. And we're going to have four or five of them. That one's going to get mentioned, and maybe it comes out on top, maybe it doesn't. What I'm sharing for you, if you want to talk about heart, the heart of 2021, there is no question what fighter displayed it the most. The answer is Volkanovski, and it was in that fight with Ortega. And we haven't seen Volk have to dig that deep, particularly that many times. Ortega opened that door to push Volk out. All Volk had to do was say, okay, I don't want this belt enough to hold on to it. Take it from me. Multiple times. Volk had too much heart. But as you're looking at this fight, now that I've brought you up upon the time, it's the right fight to make. Max is for sure the top contender. You go put Max in there with a 5, a 7, a 9, Max is going to hurt somebody badly. Max is a dangerous guy. Max is sending the best guys straight to the hospital. So you can't you can't ignore Max, or you can't say, well, we don't do third fights here when the, the, there was no change in outcome between the first two. You can't hold your hat on some of those principles when you have a responsibility to make a match where both guys can follow the basic rules, which is to protect themselves at all times. you got to put Max in there with Volk. That's the right fight. But, there's a huge but, guys. If Max beats him, they have to fight a fourth time, correct? Now, I get that there's no competitive architecture in place. I get that there's no contracts like they do in boxing. I, I, I get that. I'm just talking ethically. If Volk gives the favor to Max three times, Max has to give him one back, doesn't he? I'm asking, but doesn't he? Because you could argue that. That's not as simple as you might think. It was Max doing Volk the favor the first time. Now, once the roles were reversed, that was the payback the second. All right, we're even. You gave me a title shot. I'm giving you a title shot. But if I give you another title shot, then you owe me another title I mean, do you see where this gets weird? And what's to say if they end up going two and two, how do you not go to number five? I mean, this could be the lineage. I'm trying to think of some guys that fought. Atiro Gotti, Mickey Ward fought uh, multiple times. I don't know if anyone's fought more. Manny Pacquiao and Juan uh, Manuel Marquez. I know they fought four times. Manny won the first three. Marquez got all roided up and knocked him out in the fourth. I don't think they went to a number five. I think, if I remember this correctly, once Marquez cheated the athletic commission, I think Manny just goes, I'm done with you. I, I, I don't think they went to number five. But I only bring that to you because is this what we're on the cusp of? Colby Covington was calling for a best of seven the other day with Kamar Usman. But we've never actually seen a best of seven. We've never even seen a best of five. 
We've never been promised a best of three. Like, things are getting very interesting here at 145 pounds, and I think that you've got some real contenders coming up. You're only going to be able to ignore Giga for so long. And Calvin Cater is going to be given that same opportunity that Giga is. Calvin gets to get right back on the horse. I mean, 145 is absolutely loaded. Then you have Henry Cejudo dipping his toe in the water, starting to bulk up just a little bit, starting to chirp up just a little bit. Where does Henry fit into the whole thing? I don't know that Henry can slide in and go into a title shot. I just don't know that I, I buy that. I think Henry's going to have to do something first. And it may be as little as one match. But I think that Henry's going to have to do that match before he gets in there with those top guys. And whether you see eye to eye with me or not, the only point I'm trying to make has nothing to do with Henry and where he fits into the picture. It has to do with this picture is very beautiful and there's a lot of pieces to it. If you are ever in a division that has this much discussion against who should be next and what do we know, you're in a great division. There's several of them that just absolutely don't have that. So 145 has a lot of moving parts. We're going to see Max versus Volkanovski part three. It's just hard for me to imagine that if we get a different outcome in part three than we did in one and two, that we don't see Max versus Volkanovski a fourth time. So that's what's going on down in the featherweight title picture. And coming up next, I'll get back into this month's heavyweight fight and maybe another fight for Francis Ngannou. Both of these pieces in a moment, but first, a word about today's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Eight Sleep. Guys, good sleep is the ultimate game changer. More than 30% of Americans struggle with sleep. I was one of them. And temperature is one of the main causes of poor sleep. Guys, I run hot. It's a thing with me. Rarely do I get cold, even in the winter weather. At night, it's a problem. My wife loves sleeping with lots of blankets, but I get so hot, eight sleep has helped us resolve our temperature issues, and now I'm falling asleep in record time, faster than I ever have before, all thanks to my 8Sleep Pod Pro Cover. Let me share a little bit about the science and technology of this product. It is the most advanced solution on the market for thermoregulation. It pairs dynamic cooling and heating with biometric tracking. You can add the cover to any mattress and start sleeping as cool as 55 degrees Fahrenheit or as hot as 110 degrees Fahrenheit. The temperature of the cover will adjust each side of the bed based on your sleep stages, biometrics, and bedroom temperature, reacting intelligently to create the optimal sleeping environment. The result? Eight sleep users fall asleep up to 32% faster, reduce sleep interruptions by 40%, and get overall more restful sleep. The Pod Pro Cover by Eight Sleep is so popular. It has garnered attention from CEOs, high performers, and top CrossFit athletes, including the 2021 fittest man on earth, Justin Meridos. They're all sleeping better with Eight Sleep to make the most of their workouts and recovery because good sleep is the ultimate game changer. Go to 8sleep.com slash you're welcome to check out the Pod Pro cover and save $150 at checkout. That's 8sleep.com slash you're welcome to save $150 at checkout. Deja vu, guys. Different day, same topic, surreal gone, Francis Ngannou. I'm not going to stop talking about this. I feel as though I have an obligation to these two wonderful athletes in this potentially mega fight. 
to continue to talk about it because nobody else has started to talk about it. The only person offering any interest in this fight is Coach Lopez, and the only person whose hands are completely clean of having any level of obligation of making people interested in this fight is Coach Lopez. If it wasn't for Coach Lopez, the sparring footage and the story, and these two used to be teammates, and Francis and Coach Lopez broke up, I mean, normally a trainer, in all fairness, would be out of his lane. For, uh, for anybody to step into the wheelhouse of an active athlete that isn't willing to get in there and compete with the active athlete would break at least my code. My code, say what you want, handle this where you how you want, but step in there and answer for it when the time comes. I give Lopez a pass. Not only do I give him a pass, I give him a thank you. If it wasn't for him, there's nothing here. So Coach Lopez apparently is the source of the training video that's floating around the internet. And I even did a piece on this a couple of days ago. There was a technical sparring session between Francis and Surreal Gone. So I'm watching them saying, hey, I don't really see where anything looks bad here. I don't think either fighter looked good, and I don't think either fighter looked bad. It just showed us the audience that there is some level of familiarity between the two, which I do think is a big deal. You're dealing with Francis. You're dealing with a very scary guy. If you know Francis in any way, this actually got tested. I'll tell you guys a story. It was back in Pride. It was Ken Shamrock versus Don Fry. And one thing that Don was worried about as it pertained to Ken was Ken's strength. And at the weigh-in, they got into it. Ken at least pushed him and maybe even grabbed him, but he did something. And Don Fry spoke about that. He said, I'm so glad that happened because now I know his strength. I don't have to wonder anymore. And Don went on, he ended up winning that fight, but he has referenced to this day that that pushing, that embrace, if you will, at the weigh-in is what helped him to sleep that night and know I can deal with this guy. He's strong, but it's not quite to the level that I thought it would. I mean, it's just a very real thing. When you know a guy, it just changes. Rematches many times are a lot more fun for that same reason. They know each other. There's something very relevant to that. And I think when you're dealing with somebody as scary as Francis, the mere fact that Surreal is likely less terrified just because he knows it's the unknown that's scary. What do you think when you were a little kid, you didn't like the dark? You didn't know what was out there. It's the unknown. So I offer you that I, for one, appreciated the sparring footage, but I did not see anything within it. I haven't seen Coach Lopez cross the line to even being mean. Coach Lopez has not even come out and, and declared victory. He hasn't taken a victory lap of these are both my guys. I created the athletes here. Now, he hasn't done anything like that. He hasn't said between these two athletes, I have the better athlete, which is surreal, and I know it because of the sparring fight. He hasn't done that. He's flirted with it, but in all fairness to Coach Lopez, he has not done that. He just told a little bit of a story. So I spoke to a piece that was a technical sparring session between those two. Very hard to even call it sparring. It was a technical session between those two. They were working out. They were exercising. They were helping one another. But there's another video. So now I've seen the other video where they are actually sparring. Now, it's controlled. They're being nice to each other. They're being good teammates. They're getting a good workout in. But you can see a little bit more. And you can clearly see a destructive power with Francis Ngannou. Francis has his range down, he has his power, which he controls, and he gets it to the target. But you can also see some good movement by Surreal, you can see some good combinations. It's nothing here that would surprise you guys. 
Everything here that you would suspect is by the book. The bigger guy is more powerful. The smaller guy moves a little bit more. It's everything th that you ever learned about the fight game, but now we've seen it between these two, and it still begs the question of what happens. When you have four-ounce gloves on, it is not about who is better. It is about who hits who first. Which, again, is how you guys would have predicted this fight in the first place. If Francis hits him, Francis is going to put him down. If Surreal can avoid being hit and maybe get Francis tired and take some of that power off, it could be a good night for Surreal. Like, there's nothing new here. But it's still all that we have. And I still do have that same conclusion. These guys are going to go out and kickbox. Francis has spent a significant amount of time lately, and by lately I mean for two years, wrestling. He knew that Stipe was out there. He knew that Stipe match was coming. He knew in the first match, the problem he had is one, he got taken down, and two, he couldn't get off the bottom. He wanted to go and solve that problem. He fights Stipe again. He absolutely, Francis, solved that problem. His hard work and dedication paid off and was on display. It is largely why he's the champion of the world. People will credit the knockout for how he beat Stipe. I disagree. The knockout ended the night, but he beat Stipe by stopping the wrestling. Okay. I bring that to you because there could be a big surprise in store here. There could be Francis looking for a takedown in store, but then you have to look at the numbers and Surreal Gone has never been taken down. Not ever. Surreal's never been in there with a wrestler. I get that. So this, this conversation has got to be revisited if Surreal finds himself in there with Stipe and or John Jones. But for right now, it would appear by the numbers regardless of the gains that Francis has made, that against this opponent, Surreal, Surreal's also very good at stopping these things. Great, we've got a kickboxing match. But it just brings you back to the common denominator that we all assumed in the first place, which is these guys are going to stand up and trade, and if Francis gets to them, it's going to hurt, the same as when Francis gets to anybody and he hurts all of them. But we've also seen some good combinations from Surreal. We've seen some good clinch work from Surreal that I don't know that he gets credit for. Who can hold who on the fence is very relevant if you're looking to go to a judge's decision. Everything's the same in that position. You're holding the guy, he's holding you. But whoever's back is up against the fence, loses favor with the judges. It's relevant. We're splitting hairs here, but this that's possibly what this fight is. Possibly. And as I do look at some of that training footage, now Coach Lopez has said, I've never put out a video to make Francis look bad. I didn't even put a video out to make my student Surreal look good. I just put out the video as to what happened. You can decide from there. But Lopez now claims he has sparring footage of Surreal knocking down Francis. That's interesting. It's no more than that. Whether that exists or that's gamesmanship or that doesn't exist, one doesn't have anything to do with the other. A sparring session, it's very, very different. I have sparred with guys. We go about 80%. That's just a, a rough number. But you wrestle as hard as you possibly can and you strike more control. It works out to about 80%. I have had guys who I have never beaten in the practice room, ever. Guys that you've never heard of. Most of them smaller. Most of them that didn't have the wins and, and, and break it into the TV in your guys' living room. And if we were to go 100%, they'd have never won a round against me. That 20% is a big deal, is the point I'm trying to make. Controlled sparring is very different than when you change the speed and you let a few go. It's very different. The part that you're controlling is the power. It is the damage. 
But if you do throw power that can do damage, you will get a different respect, you will get a different reaction, you will get a different look from your opponent. It's just very different. So I'm only submitting for you, as much as this may bother Francis that this is coming out, nobody's going to judge him for it, but it might make people think, okay, Surreal's got a better shot. Francis is the favorite after all. But if there is a video of Surreal putting him down, it might people make people think he's got a better shot. It might change the gap. It has nothing to do with the outcome of the fight. That's okay. There's no problem with that. This is what drives the industry forward. You have a little fun. You have some speculation. You find a way to get people's interest aside from the unified rules of when you're locked in there on the agreed-upon date at the agreed-upon time. Everybody here is doing what they're supposed to be doing. If you make believe that you, you gained something or you've got some insight because you saw some of these videos out there, I, I would question that. I don't. I don't have anything from it. Other than there is now a familiarity. They both know what they're getting into. Knowing what they're getting into, Francis did not flinch once. Knowing what they're getting into, Surreal Gone has not flinched once. And neither guy has gone after the other. Which makes me wonder, is that because there's some kind of friendly camaraderie here? Is that because there's a respect to their past? Or do they both know enough about the other? That knowing poking the bear isn't a good idea. It will make you think and it will make you wonder. Apparently there's more training footage to come. When it comes, we will discuss it. Tyson Fury and Francis Ngannou were going at it. Is that the word? Are, are they're going at it on Twitter? I don't know if I agree with that because the level of silliness that they did was really not fun or interesting in the least. So Francis has let Tyson know that as soon as he finishes business here with Surreal Gone, he will fight Tyson anywhere, in a ring, in a cage, or in a phone booth. Now, how are you going to get a camera in the phone booth? What does that look like? The fans fill up an arena and there's a phone booth in the middle and then they go in and then who wins? Like whoever comes out because we're not going to see what happens. Like the whole thing just got weird when they said phone booth. But Tyson Fury added to the silliness himself by letting Francis know that he would box Francis wearing MMA gloves. So now you're left with the same, uh, where's the camera going, the phone booth question. Where are you going to box in MMA gloves? Like, who's going to sanction that? You just limited our options, and who's going to watch that? And what's that going to be like when ESPN is trying to cover that on SportsCenter? Because they can't call it boxing. Boxing isn't done with four-ounce gloves. So now you've got a new sport created. And then everybody that's trying to cover it or explain it is just going to throw their hands up and just say to hell with them. Let, let me know who wins. Best of luck to both of you. Here's a hundred bucks. It's just weird. Where's the pride within your sport? If you are a boxer, you don't change the rules of boxing. You stand by your sport. Here's how we do it here if this is where you're coming. We've got things we can discuss. Is the, is the, is the ring going to be 17 and a half feet or is it going to be 20 and a half feet? Are the gloves going to be 12 ounce or are they going to be 14 ounce? Are they going to have horse hair or are they going to be made in Mexico? Like there's discussions that you can have within the rule and sport of boxing as dumb and silly as they seem. But you cannot go and wear MMA gloves. That is no longer boxing. That is now something else. Why would you not have the pride within your own sport to stand by the sport? It's just one of these baffling things that guys always think they can be smarter, they can get away with something. If you're changing anything, it's because somebody doesn't want it. 
Nobody's tried to negotiate the change of the rules, the rounds, the weight class, and or in this case, the glove size. Nobody's offered it. You came and offered it, which means you're a terrible negotiator. It's a very silly thing to do. But these two want to go and do something. Why don't they just arm wrestle? In all fairness, and I don't say that to be silly, would you guys be interested if Tyson Fury was going to arm wrestle Francis Ngannou? What if we build it up? What if we showed you some training footage? Maybe it had to do with, with guys that were arm wrestling. Maybe it had to do with the weight room or technique that they have. Maybe we could talk to their trainers. Maybe we could weigh them in, face them off, and have them arm. I mean, if you're just looking to hurt the other guy, you have no other goal or incentive here. Your market has now changed. The tough man, barbaric, two men enter, one guy leaves era died in 1993. And not just because perception of people changed, because there wasn't enough people that wanted to see that. We wanted to see a sport, not a spectacle. So it just gets very weird that these two are even talking about that. And then you have the other side, which is, is Francis focused on Surreal gone? Is he aware that any hopes that he has in boxing are gone? The moment he loses that belt, because I'm not positive that he is. And this one to just carry to Francis, this will cover to every single UFC fighter who's ever thought about going and doing something else, in this case, the world of boxing. You do not have value. Conor McGregor, when he went and did it, did not have value. None. Zero. Conor McGregor brought nothing to that. Somebody paid $100 million to have the two-division sitting UFC champion. That's what got $100 million. Make no mistake. Is Francis aware that whatever hopes... And by the way, I'm on Francis's side. I really like to see him get that. That seems like a big goal and a cool thing to do. And if he can cross over and get in there with Fury and they can figure things out, even if it's with the silly gloves, I, I am on board, in all fairness. Giving them a hard time. But in fairness, it's a cool thing. It's a cool thing because it's a hard thing. It's also a cool thing because it's, it's a very unique thing. And if this is his goal and his vision, he sees it through, man... Hats off to Francis, in all fairness. But does Francis know that Francis Ngano, on a contract, gets no money? The UFC champion going over to take on the boxing champion, that draws. I'm not positive that that, that, that distinction is made. I'm not positive that anybody explained that to him. There's a lot of things that come along with being the UFC champion. Not only does the media come with you, not only does the fan base come with you, not only does curiosity come with you, but the promoter comes with you. And whoever's writing the check is definitely factoring in the promoter, Dana. If those things are gone and you've just got two things to put on a contract, first name Francis, last name Angano, you're not getting paid. You're not selling out an arena. You're not getting the pundits to come behind you. You're not getting the media. You're not getting the build. So it's one of these things I'm just asking. I'm asking a simple question. Is Francis aware that these things are absolutely tied together? Being the champion and then going to... Is, is he aware of that? And moreover, I know the concern of you guys. I read this in your comments every single day. Which is if Francis is focused and or thinking about Tyson and not thinking about Surreal, isn't that a problem? Now, that one's not as easy to answer. Because I had inside of me the same thing that Francis has where the last thing I'm going to focus on is the thing that I have to do next. I would go to a press conference opposite Anderson Silva, and I talk about Vitor Belfort the whole time. But that wasn't just because I thought that made good sense. I don't need to sell the, 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 the Anderson fight. I've already got it. What I need is a job to go to tomorrow. So that made a level of sense. But on a personal note, from a psychological standpoint, I don't want to focus on the fight. I would experience something called paralysis by analysis. If I sat and focused on something, gave it my full attention, it would make me freeze up more, supposed to be in loose. 
And one way that I've always stayed loose is to just have a lot of balls in the air at one time. Never put everything into one basket. That's personal. Some of you will relate, go, yeah, Chael, I fully get that. I do the same thing. And some of you go, nah, I got to be laser fucking have tumult vision. That's okay. I won't question you, but you should not question, in this case, Francis. If he wants to kind of spread it around and look at his options, if that's a way of alleviating pressure or, or, or stress or creating some excitement, giving him motivation, Francis is not wrong. Francis is a champion of the world. I don't think there's many things that Francis could do from an athletic preparation standpoint that could reasonably be questioned. It should be studied and then copied. He's the champion of the world. But it is a fair talking point because he's brought it to us in this business with Fury. It looks like if Francis is going to box, he's going to fight Fury. Can we all agree on that? And Fury really would do it. But Fury is also not after some ridiculous payday. He just wants the fight. He just wants to show he can deal with the power. He can deal with the skills. I get that. I understand that storyline. I don't know. You're, you're never going to win me over when the storyline is a cash grab. Even if it is a cash grab, if it's all about the money and I understand it, you got to convince me that it's not. I've got to know this is about something different. So what Tyson is attempting to do is tell the world, I have the bravery, I have the skills, this is a terrifying man, but not to me. I'm still the man. I'll do this any way you want, anywhere you want to do it. We'll even take the damn gloves off. All right, that's weird. It's just weird. I, I like fights. I'm a big fight fan. If two guys were fighting in the street outside right now, I'm not running to the window to watch. That would bother me. So if you're not going to have sport within it, if you're not going to have athleticism within it, if you're not going to have a historical breakdown behind it, that we could all come to the table with an understanding of what we're getting into behind What are we doing it for? What are we doing it for? I want to fight you and you want to fight me. Really? Then let's go fight. Well, no, not so fast. I, I need that check first. Okay, great. Did you want to fight me because you've got the courage and you want to prove that you can handle my skills? Or do you just need a whole bunch of money? It's a big difference. And you're not wrong if the answer is money. You're making a mistake if you're not smart enough to disguise the fact that it's about the money. You're going to lose the audience. And once you start changing the rules of the sport, you're now doing something different. Boxing is not done in four-ounce gloves anywhere in the world. Nowhere. No history of it. Boxing is done 10, 12, 14, sometimes 16-ounce gloves. Boxing is not done in 60-second rounds. Boxing is done in three-minute rounds. If you change any of these things, you're now changing what you're doing. And we can't just call it boxing. They can't do that in the wrestling world, bring two guys together change the out-of-bounds, change what you're doing, and then call it wrestling, the community would uproar and say, that's not, that's not wrestling. That's not what we do. And the community would be right. So where are the good old days where you stand by the pride of your sport? Go look to change the rules. This guy's already said he wants to box. Why are you trying to do him a favor and change the glove? He said he wants to box. Francis didn't ask you to put on some different gloves. Francis didn't try to tip the scales in his favor. He said, I will come over and box you. Box him. To close out today's show, I want to circle back to the middleweights, a division that I crushed on Wednesday's show, although I have to admit, there's a fight coming up that I am really excited for. All right, I got a question for you. Sincere question, would love a sincere answer. Where is Luke Rockholt? You know what I was thinking about Luke? 
First off, I'm a Luke fan. I think the sport is more fun when Luke is around. I think press conferences are more fun. I like arrogant Luke. I like confident Luke. I like to watch Luke. I'll admit it, fine. But what happened to him? He was going to fight, to remind you, Sean Strickland at Madison Square Garden. Luke got hurt, and I want to say it was his back. But, you know, those things always get sensitive. When a guy's hurt going out and asking what's wrong, or even if you find out what's wrong, coming out and it's kind of private, guy's medical, kind of his business. So the story really never came out. But I also haven't heard from Luke since, and I was watching Sean Strickland sparring videos 20 minutes ago. Sean's back in the news. He was sparring, knocked out a training partner. I have to defend Sean. Sean was one of the most trustable and best teammates I have ever had. I trusted him completely with my body. He went very hard. He was very competitive trying to win rounds, but he was very controlled. And whether it was me or whoever his other partners were, he never hurt anybody. And I do have to defend him in that video. That was an unfortunate incident, but Sean was padded up. And Sean did throw that uh, kick appropriately. His opponent reacted, dropped his... It was just one of those things where it was just the wrong time, everything that happened, boom, they collide. But I don't, I don't like the idea of Sean getting a bad rap. I really don't. He's a tra If you see him come in your gym, embrace him. Tell him hello. He's a trustable, hardworking, honest guy, and he'll come back tomorrow. And he'll come back the day after that. Sean's getting ready to fight Jack Hermanson. And the Joker was on a roll. I mean, Jack had some beautiful things happen within his career. I can go back, this is a number of years ago, but even, even the win over Jacare that kind of shocked the world at the time that it happened, then Jack starts getting main event fights. Jack has this incredible performance. Kel Kelvin Gatslin gets inserted. I mean, Jack was doing some things really well, and I don't see anybody talked about more at middleweight than Sean Strickland. I really believe, and I'm alone on this one, that if Sean and Luke would have fought and Sean would have won, there would have at least been a conversation that Sean is now the number one contender to fight Adesanya. I personally believe that. I, was, I brought that to you guys. Nobody backed me up on that. And I knew that going into the fight, that could not be declared a number one contendership fight. I just thought coming out of it, in the media mecca of the world, Madison Square Garden, on that card, on that night, there, there would be some very special attention. And if Sean could get the jump over a household MMA, MMA name in Luke Rockall, a former world champion, likely a future Hall of Famer, I just thought it would have done some really special things. And not to mention, Sean's won his last seven fights. That would have been eight. His one before that was a main event, which he won. Now he's taken out a world champion, right? Best case scenario. I'm just, I think that conversation would have been had. And if you look at Adesanya and the fact that Adesanya is having to go through the same guys he already went through to get to the top, he's having to go through them again. I don't know how mad Adesanya wants to start recycling opponents. It's just a hard thing to do. I'm guessing. I haven't Adesanya, heard Adesanya say he doesn't want to do it, but I'm guessing. Instead of getting him with their Brunson a second time or Vittoria a second time, or Whitaker a second time, or Paulo Costa said, I think that he would like something new and something fresh, and Sean will certainly do his part of things. I thought a win for Sean over Luke could have at least started that conversation. Might not have got him across the finish line, but I think it would have been started. And I'm sharing that with you now because middleweights are under attack, and they don't know it. Middleweights are not standing their ground. There's a few middleweights right now that are happy to be quiet, they're making absolutely no noise and getting no attention because they're confident that their, their records are speaking for itself. Nobody knows what your record is. Nobody has the foggiest idea. I know Brunson's been kicking ass. I don't know what, I, five in a row, three in a row, six in a row? One year, two years, four, I don't know. And I'm never going to look that up. 
but the fighter feels so close to it. The fighter is so close to the trees, he can't see the forest, ever. He always thinks whatever he is doing, everybody else knows. Or fighter's got a fight coming up and doesn't tell people when. Doesn't tell people the specific... There's a fight every seven days. Even if you're a huge fight fan like me, I can't keep track. But I've also never tried to keep track. That's on you. It's your job. Same reason I set alerts and reminders and alarms on my phone to tell me that I'm counting on you. That is the checks and balances. That is the level of organization of the fight fan. You will tell me. And then you'll tell me again, and then you'll remind me a third time. Just one of these things where I'm seeing these middleweights go absolutely quiet, and the whole division is under attack. And the only one being talked about is Sean Strickland, but nobody's talking about Sean Strickland being in contendership uh, for a world title fight. He's won seven fights in a row. He's never lost at middleweight. Are you guys aware of that? The time he stubbed his toe last was against Kamar Usman. This is off the top of my head, but that was down at middleweight, not to mention, or welterweight, not to mention, it was Kamar Usman. <laughs> All right? Like, that doesn't really hurt you or pull you back. And I think that there's a lot of attention going on Sean Strickland right now. Sean is more than happy to convince the world that he's crazy. I would never bust a guy's gimmick. I am making an exception one time here because this is my teammate and friend, and I don't like that this is being said about him. Sean is not a madman, and Sean is not untrustable, and Sean is not crazy. Sean has seen an opportunity jumping in that into the pool. I just fear that he's playing the character so well that you are going to have promoters that look left and right and go, can I put this guy on top of a bill? If this guy's running with the crazy act and I put my belt around, I mean, it's one of these things. Politics play a hand in absolutely everything. I'm looking at Sean's record. It's absolutely beautiful. I'm looking at the fact that he's going to be fighting Jack. Tough fight. A lot of eyes are going to be on that fight. I'm looking at the way that Sean is prepared for that match. Sean came out to, and did Submission Underground straight grappling in a match that he knew it was not likely to favor him. He was willing to take the lumps anyway just for the experience because he knows Jack is so good on the ground. That's a great part of the story. That's a real dedication. That's a smart guy. Working his ass off. Beautiful record. Stealing all the headlines. And my point here isn't to talk to you about Sean. My point here was when I sat down was to ask, guys, what's an update on Luke? When can I personally look forward to seeing Luke come back? And secondly, it's a moreover topic that what in the hell is going on with these middleweights? This level of confidence that some of the top middleweights, the top three guys, this level of confidence that they have in their standing and position within the sport is false. It changes quickly. Some of them have done some great things. I mentioned Brunson a minute ago. Brunson not only has done great things, he did it on his own. Nobody's ever helped Derek Brunson. I really respect that about him. He believed in Derek Brunson. One person believed in Derek Brunson, and it was Derek Brunson. He got into a very beautiful spot, but I feel as though Derek's taken his foot off the gas. Derek's an interesting guy. Derek speaks, he's, he's, he's very jovial. He's, he's funny, and it comes through even on social media. He's an interesting guy. I think he's taken his eye off the ball. I think that he thinks that his spot is secure because of work that he did yesterday. Sport just doesn't work that way, and that's not fair. I'm not saying that it is. We for sure have very short, mem uh, short memories. My partner, Errol Hawani, is great with an expression which is recency bias, and he admits that he has a recency bias. When you talk about the greatest of all time, just by example, Whoever you saw go last generally gets the nod. You just have this, whatever, the, the, the most exciting fight you've ever seen is probably the most exciting fight that you've most recently seen. You're kind of forgetting five years ago or even five months ago. It can be as short as five weeks ago, guys. I've told you guys this 
one fortune cookie in my life that I actually remember. And it said, success is something you have to be reminded of often. But it's true. People forget. And I'm seeing Sean taking all these headlines. Seeing Sean staying active. I've seen Sean, the only guy that has somebody record his training footage and is putting leaks that most guys don't want that. Sean doesn't give a damn. Sean just wants you to remember him. Sean is doing everything right. I'm a little surprised, in fairness, that the other middleweights are so confident with their positioning when the sport says parity trumps rematches. You're always looking for what's next. The fans will always be looking to knock somebody down and rise somebody else up. That same guy, when he gets to the top, they'll be looking to bring him down and look what's going to replace him. It's very important that you understand the psychology of the viewer because you, the viewer, have the most power in this whole sport. You have the power because the boss listens to you. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. A reminder that if you want more, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is almost at 1 million subscribers. I appreciate all your help and also for you listening every Wednesday and Friday. Guys, I will be back next Wednesday. And until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.